Welcome to another edition of the Commitment Issues Podcast. It's a special edition. Beep, 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 beep. Uh, I'm Woody Womack, joined on the phone by Rob Cassidy from Miami. Rob, how's it going today? It's going, man. And if some like person comes in here and asks me some question while we're on the air, it's because a pipe has burst in my house and they are basically here repairing my entire bathroom as we record this. Boy, I bet a pipe's bursting. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to have to, you're gonna have to edit that. <laughs> and then uh, playing the sound effects and the uh, laugh track from Texas, Nick Kruger. Nick, how are you? Yeah, good, good. Uh, very good. All right, so it's the dead period right now, as we know. Uh, high school players and college players all in camp. So we decided, why not do a special edition of the podcast? And this week, we are talking about Last Chance You, the Netflix show. We're going to talk about season two. We got all types of opinions. Uh, we've never done something like this before. So uh, hopefully you guys like it. If you haven't watched the show, you can watch it on Netflix. It's about a junior college in uh, East Mississippi. Uh, and Rob covers JUCOs, as you know. So we got all types of topics. So let's let's sort of kick things off here, guys. Uh, Nick, I know you you were firing off opinions fast and furious. So what was your takeaway on the show? What, what you know, biggest takeaway for you after watching a season, and, and, and where did you come away on things? Well, so I, I think season two is all, uh, generally speaking, a little bit more. Um, connected to all of us because I, f- I feel like the guys that were on this season we had more recent uh, direct contact with, so there was a little bit more personal involvement uh, on our part. So that was that was cool to see those guys, uh, you know, and where are they now? Sort of situation, even though uh, the the context of it doesn't seem very favorable given the premise of the show. Really, generally though, uh, it's kind of hard for me. It, it was kind of hard for me to to watch the show at times because it's like. It's sort of hard to root for the main characters when the main characters spend so much time like not helping themselves. You know what I mean? Uh, so that was that was kind of my main gripe with it. But I suppose that's sort of the essence of of junior college in general uh, across the board in, in in some in some cases. So uh, and plus it, it's in a it's in a real tough uh, environment in in Mississippi. And in, in terms of it's just it just seems like there's there's a lot of nothing out there, which I guess also is uh, conducive to to trying to keep kids in line in a, in a junior college program. But uh, you really have to I, I kind of had to like commit to swallowing all that. <laughs> you know what I mean? At sometimes. Yeah. So some of the issues that that, you know, and I, it's, that's the problem is you kind of have to watch it because and you treat them like characters, but these are guys that at least you know. Uh, me personally, I have uh, some type of relationship with. I mean, Chauncey Rivers is someone that you know Nick and I both spent a ton of time around when he was in high school, uh, and of course he you know got kicked out of Georgia for for some you know legal problems related to marijuana. It wasn't like he he uh, you know committed any crime. Depends on how you how you frame that. And it was interesting to see his mom featured heavily in there because she's someone that I used to talk to on a regular basis. She sort of served as a, almost like a, a mom for several prospects, including Jonathan Ledbetter, who's, who's now on Georgia and is expected to be a big time contributor. So it was interesting to see that, that format and see uh, almost them struggling. I mean, <laughs> the, the relationship. Well, I, thought, I thought, I thought Chauncey, I thought Chauncey was the the most stand up guy on the whole show and deserving of being like the most rewarded character out of out of the bunch. I thought I thought uh, DeAndre didn't get enough TV time for people to 
um, you know, for people to decide whether or not, you know, to see how far he's come past the incident that, you know, that got him, that landed him in that situation. You know, they gave him a little montage at the end of the, at the end of the season, but I, I would have liked to have seen more from DeAndre because I thought he was pretty well represented even, even in a limited capacity. Yeah, when we talk about you mentioned DeAndre Johnson, who was a four-star coming out of high school, went to Florida State, had that incident that everyone saw the video. They showed it on the show of him at a bar, you know, assaulting a, a, a woman and punched her in the face. It was just a horrible video. But it's crazy. You heard the, you know, all the people on the show, and I think the way he kind of framed himself, I mean, it's hard to imagine. And I remember when it happened. I mean, he was a kid who kind of had a chip on his shoulder. But he was never you, you never foresee something like that happening. It's what Rob and I are always talking about is we don't know what these kids or what they're capable of just from our limited interactions. But then you hear the people on the show and you see play other players on the team having outbursts, fighting with the coaches. And we didn't see that from him at all. So I, I, he ends up at FAU. I think uh, it's well known. I think he's competing for the job down there. But Rob, was it tough for you? You're the socialist in the group here. Was it is it is it tough for you to kind of swallow those things to know like okay we're watching criminals here or ex criminals or someone like DeAndre who you know is there, is it the show's responsibility to touch on that aspect of it or what's your take? Yeah, I think the show has to touch on that aspect of it, but you know, and at the risk of not being a very good talk podcast talk radio person here. I guess the truth is always somewhere in the middle, right? Like nobody's ever as bad as their worst moment, uh, but nobody's also ever as good as they portray themselves when the cameras are rolling or try to anyway. Uh, so, you know, it goes back to your point. We don't know these kids when we're dealing with them. You know, we know what they decide to show us. Uh, and that can be said doubly for a documentary like this. I mean, it's not like these kids don't know there's a camera on them 24 hours a day. So who are they really? You know, are they criminals? Are they people that have rehabbed from the things they've done? It, who knows? I mean, you know, you, we can only go on what the show shows us and what we know from their past. And it's always somewhere in the middle. So I'm not going to pass judgment either way on anybody on this show, whether, you know, I'm not going to stand here and be like, they look really rehabilitated because, you know, who the heck knows? And I'm not going to, you know, condemn them for their worst moment either. Uh, so, you know, I guess I fall somewhere in the middle and I know nuance isn't exactly what people listen for, but that's, uh, well, that's, that's, that's why I wanted, that's why I wanted to see more of Deandre on the show, because I felt like with Chauncey by comparison, um, you know, even though, even though he came across as probably the most, the guy that was probably most capable of, of being like a leader on that team and being an example of like, you know, a guy that played at a big time program that people could look up to. You really got a well-rounded view of, you know, there were some there were some like minor moments of weakness with like his his journey through the season and things like that. You know, you saw a little a total picture of him. You know, and and I thought overall he came out looking like a like a pretty stand up dude, and I, yeah, I think he DeAndre went in looking like the most stand up dude too. Though I mean, he if you look at it, I mean, there's a big difference between a guy that smoked a bunch of weed and got caught versus a guy that punched a woman in the face at a bar on video camera. Um, so yeah. you know, I, I think Chauncey had had the least room to go right when it comes to like looking like uh, somebody that's over his mistakes because really, I mean, I think in 2017, most people, even the non-socialists among us, can agree that smoking weed is not a big deal, uh, whether you're an athlete or not. It's not like it was some violent crime. It's you know a victimless crime in his case. It's a little bit different than DeAndre and even some of these other guys that get caught up in gun charges uh, and things like that. So you know, I think Chauncey looked the best because he had the he had the shortest way to come. Yeah, and, and he ends up finding himself probably in the most high-profile situation. That's to be argued. The the linebacker ended up back at uh, Texas Tech, but he ends up at Mississippi State. And I think, you know, we hear a lot about him being an NFL prospect. And 
you're coming out of high school. I mean, this guy ranked in the top 100. He was on mine and Nick's team at the five star challenge uh, that that year. So um, there's still lofty expectations there. I kind of wanted to get into some of the other cast of characters. I think we all, and it's, it's sort of tough to say because, you know, who knows about how the way that the head coach is portrayed. You know, that last episode was tough. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. One last thing about DeAndre, oh, too. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. And I know it's kind of a roundabout way of him getting to this point and who knows what's going to happen at FAU. But I mean, let, let's remember the situation that at Florida State, let's say, let's say nothing, nothing bad ever happened. He was in a, he was in a quarterback situation with DeAndre Francois. I mean, he, I don't think he would have won that. It came out winning winning that anyway. He probably would have looked to transfer anyhow, don't you think? Yeah, and that was a big thing in high school. I mean, there was – I remember famously one time he did an interview with Rivals where he said, uh, you know, DeAndre Francois is trying to be just like me. He's got my same name, wants to go to my same school. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and, boy, talk about a lot of controversy behind the scenes here at Rivals at that time. But uh because he, he felt like his comments were taken a little bit out of context and it, they got picked up by a few newspapers and stuff. So um, I, I think yeah, it would have been tough. It would have been tough to beat out DeAndre Francois because many of people are talking about him as an NFL guy now maybe. so. Uh, but, but DeAndre Johnson, I mean, he loved FSU. I mean, this was a guy who committed very early and, and sort of stuck with him. So th- I thought that was interesting. Let's, let's skip right ahead to, you know, what I – we can touch on Buddy later. And, you know, I'm sure I have to deal with him. So I'm going to have to watch my words on him because I may have to deal with him in the future uh, now that I'm covering junior colleges again. But – if you're pit watching this and you know you're getting Cam Carter and you're like the guy that signed him over there, are you just like, oh, no. Oh <laughs> like, my I mean, gosh. is there like would... a bunch of dread in your stomach? Because you want to talk about somebody – if we decide that Chauncey was portrayed as you know the best, uh, I don't – Cam looks like a dude. And like I said, we don't know. You know, these – you know the editing choices can be made in a million different ways and of course they're trying to you know tell a story so who knows but the way the documentary showed him anyway that does not look like a dude that any division one coach that i know wants on his team he was easily my least favorite character on the show easily easily my least favorite character every time he every time he came on i was like oh man here we go again you know here's an here's another guy that just doesn't want to do nothing you know? well, well, and one of the and who knows? I mean, he was obviously going through some stuff. He was he seemed to be t- he was tired all the time, which wondered me was he not sleeping enough at night? I mean, uh, but but well, there was that one scene where everybody was playing like video games. That that was the only time I was sympathetic to him because everybody was in his room playing video games and stuff. He was in bed, like had the covers over him, trying to sleep, and everybody's in there like you know playing Madden and screaming and cutting up and stuff. So who knows? Who knows how often that was happening out there? But yeah, I mean, the, just the same. Fighting with the D, the D line coach personally, but you know, obviously we observe a lot of coaches. I thought he acquitted himself very well. I thought he looked like a guy who you could see moving up and on to, to other things. I thought he related to the kids well. And then you had this scene late in the series where him and Cam got in some type of physical altercation. And yeah, they kind of like, glossed over that, didn't they? Like they kind of were like, okay, here's the physical altercation that happened, but we're not really going to tell you exactly what happened. Uh, but a thing happened and we won't go into detail on what that thing is. Is that what it seemed like to you? Yeah, I think it was just like a push, and then you had the scene where the coach, the coach, and the offensive coordinator talked about it, but then they took their mics off. So it didn't seem like there was any discipline that came out of that, and and that was one of the things that kind of rung true with me is like you saw the D line coach uh, disciplining Cam on a regular basis and disciplining some of the other guys by making them run. You saw the offensive coordinator, you know, doing the Bible study, and I like I said, I thought he they portrayed him as a good character as well, uh, and then you had the head coach 
you know, taking all types of the head coach. And 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 guess what? (laughs) You have coaches who say stuff in the heat of the moment and things like that, and it's not. Guess what? I mean, we, we hear guys at camps even, you know, cussing at kids and stuff like that. So it's not something that's going to offend us. I just think it's a tough situation because guess what? The junior college has to recruit as well. And I mean, I, I you here's, know. Here's my thing with him. I don't mind the cussing, obviously. Who cares? These are grown kids, grown men playing football. They've heard the F word before. If you, you got to think, if you invite a reality show on your campus, why are you going to be taking swings at the camera and like yelling at the camera to get out of your face? It's like, look, dude, you had some semblance, I'm sure, of input on whether this happens or not. Uh, how can you be this mad at the cameras when things start going poorly? <laughs> Especially for a guy that opened season two with this like monologue about how bad he looked in season one. So, you know, to to kind of to kind of fix that, what does he do? I, I'm stuck with like that image of him in one of the last episodes where they're in the halftime locker room and there's a low angle shot of him and he kicks at the camera and says, get this out of here. And who knows if he was actually trying to make contact or not, but man, he's come off on, as unlikable. And I'm sure again, like I said about the kids, I'll say about him. I'm sure that, you know, there are editing choices that are made to betray a certain story, but boy, he, you know, if you're going to put him and Cam up there is the two most unlikable people on the show. I'm going to spot, you know, I'd spend a year with Cam Carter before hanging out two days with Buddy. <laughs> uh, well, it was, it was, it was funny. Uh, it was kind of funny, like to, to your point, how he comes out and says like, you know, this is, it's going a new year, a new me, you know what I'm saying? Like coming out and saying that he's going to, he's going to be like that. And immediately that kind of goes out of the window when stuff starts hitting the fan and then he just kind of doesn't look back from there but you know another guy that i wasn't crazy about was the was the running back um isaiah right but the one Uh, thing but injury yeah but but at the end of the season you know i i I thought like you know they think what you want to about them you know either one of those characters and the relationship they had between the two i did agree with isaiah when he when he was kind of like i just don't think i just don't think coach knows how to read people which i which i think is a legitimate uh, 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 evaluation of, of coach buddy in some respects. What, what can we, and also back to buddy, it's maybe this is a Mississippi thing that I just don't understand, but it's 2017. Who is this like spiritual advisor? Like, it's not like a priest or a pastor. His label is if I'm in the market for a spiritual advisor, where do I go to find one of these people? And how did buddy end up with this random dude that just talks to him about Jesus all the time? Well, it's, it's just a guy from his church, but yeah, I think, uh, he he clearly came in like Nick said, wanting to to rehabilitate his image. And then the the issue with Isaiah Wright is we've seen kids like this who don't respond well. And 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 he, you know when they showed his dad who was sick and 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 everything like that, it was clear that the dad said, you know, he's real hard headed. And and I just think that he's having a hard time. We see this with some football coaches. I mean, we've seen it with guys in college, like even. Uh, you know, friend of the show, Jim Levitt, who got in trouble at USF for, for you know, getting into it with his players. Mark Mangino as well. Yeah, same thing. It's Mike like, Leach, friend of the, double friend of the show, Mike Leach, locked a man in a shed. Right. So it's like you, you just can't. I was talking about this, you know, with Mr. Shut Up and Train this morning at the gym when he was asking me about some of the teams uh, that here in the Atlanta area. I just said, you can't sit there and cuss at kids all the time because they're just going to shut down. And that's... You know, Isaiah Wright, he grew up in a, in a bad situation that he talked about. He was hurt. And, and I think, I really think 
it, it shined a light on the you know the concussion situation with them pushing to get him back on the field and almost accusing him of faking. They did accuse him of faking. No, 100%. no, no, no. It was. I thought it was the other way around. Like, I didn't think they. Well, I, no. He, initially, he tried to get back on the field. Then the next week, he was like, "Oh, he has a headache." He has a head. He yeah, says he has a headache. It's like he's always got a headache or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and then it was like, "No, he's fine. He could practice." And the coach is like, "That's all I need to know." But it's like, and then you have. Well, that really encapsulates like the that that particular situation really encapsulate what's what's the crux of the show is all about right if you're going to call it last chance you and you're thinking you're you're looking at a guy like isaiah that maybe you know even even is uh for lack of a better term hard-headed as he was in that uh in that particular circumstance you know he's looking at this as he's got he's got to play right or else or else that's it you know so so i think in that i think in that particular situation you see the uh the struggle that goes on with players more clear than you do otherwise you know when talking about the consequences of of deciding whether to play or not with a head injury like that well and uh, from a scouting perspective if we're doing you know, I know we have a podcast dedicated to that now but if if we're looking at it from a scouting perspective he was electric when he had the ball in his hands wasn't he i mean didn't you guys didn't he kind of jump off when the you know the the film, I guess you'd say, to you guys when he had the ball in his hands and he was just running by guys. I mean, he he is playing other college players. Uh, I mean, do we think he was better than – obviously, he's going to West Georgia, which has produced several NFL players. But I, I have to think if we're going ability-wise, he, he could have fit at several places, right? Yeah, I mean, I would assume. I like that backup running back they had too. Um yeah, I mean, they they also didn't do a very good job. Maybe this ran together of, you know, they kind of portrayed him as a talented kid with some like real football IQ issues when they made a point of dragging out that scene where he was catching the ball at the one yard line and then letting it bounce inside of the five. Well, but, it's but, like, but that was clearly and and guess what? That's what happens when you're living in a world of fear. Yeah, you no, one hundred percent. No, I, I agree. I just felt like I felt like he was he he wasn't thinking straight because he he was thinking so much about injury i'm losing the offers and then you know the coach is making a point to get in his face all the time basically you know in in playing sports i've seen this before where you have a guy who gets like that and you almost have that's where you have to have an assistant coach that's going to say okay head coach you go over here for about a week <laughs> let me deal with this kid until you guys both cool down and that's what should have happened there and un- unfortunately it just didn't seem like it was a uh, that was on the table buddy stevens becomes at least one third less annoying if he's not wearing those jose canseco oakley sunglasses <laughs> i mean oh, those make the adam friedman glasses look trendy i mean where did buddy get those things how about how he shows up in those denim cargo shorts well, for see, one practice he got him at a gas station in mississippi where do you think he got well, him? No, listen <laughs> okay here, here's the thing. He sh- on the episode that he s- that he showed up wearing. The yeah, it was like a shorts. joke. He wanted to have but, fun. Yeah, but he it. said that was the week he wanted to have fun. Then yeah. you have the players out on the field messing around, doing some fake one on ones, the linemen, and the next day, and so they're having fun out there. And then he comes out there and starts yelling at everybody, yelling at the coaches, yelling at the players. I, you know, and obviously, I'm, we can't argue with the guy's success. He's had a ton of success as a coach. But at the same time, I just I just wonder going forward how how, how you recruit to a situation like that when hey, there are a lot your- of people that have been successful despite being jerks. Yeah, these two yeah, things are not mutually exclusive. That was that was just 
Yeah, but again, I mean that that's just part of the over, one of the overarching you know storylines of the show is is can can he or can't he uh, change his personality towards towards what he wanted to do at the start of the season? And I, I think you're I think you're just seeing a guy that has been so used to coaching a certain way for so long that when he tries to kind of step outside that comfort zone a little bit, it immediately he immediately reverts back to like what he knows because he's not sure if it's the right thing to do or not, or, you know, it gets a little uncomfortable or whatever, you know? So I think, I think he, he just looks a little bipolar, but that's probably the root of it. Has there, has there ever been anybody that that's like aesthetic that, that looks more like what their personality is? Like if, if I never heard Buddy Stevens talk and I just saw this guy with like the eighties rocker haircut and those sunglasses, I'd be like, Oh man, this guy is probably some kind of jerk. And sure enough, I mean, he just looks like the way he is. <laughs> it really well, together. And you don't, I guess we don't, what we don't see is he's will he is willing to take chances on these guys and try to, and then maybe it's for the, the betterment of the program. And I, I, one thing I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, obviously we have to mention, uh, you know, Brittany Wagner, who's, who's sort of portrayed as the hero of the show, I would think, but you don't ever see her and the coach having any sort of conflicts. But I mean, late as the season moves along, it's clear she wants out of there. And she mentions that they aren't on the same page, which I thought was interesting because, you know, honestly, as as you and you guys can attest, I mean, we have we deal with these kids on getting them to fill out paperwork and stuff like that for camps. And I mean, Try some some kids, you know, they have learning disabilities, and in some of these kids in the show, I think it was clear that they have some type of, you know, learning disabilities or maybe some issues like that where they need extra help. And she sort of seems to be there to to fill that role, and almost is like the team mom and everything. And I, I think she shows well, but at the same time, do you think? I, I guess you know what responsibility does the does the team have in that aspect to try to help these kids and and it's kind of ties into what Josh Rosen said in the in the news this week in terms of these guys trying to juggle football and school it seems to be uh it seems to be quite a task for some of these guys and this is just in community college let alone when they get to a, a four-year school those guys I mean it's like I said before when you're dealing with how many people do you think are on that team total how many roster I think they have fifty. They have like fifty-five, right? Yeah, there's like yeah, fifteen or fifty-five. And every league is different. Like they just got rid of the rule in Kansas, where you can only have so many guys because you had to have so many people if you were at a Kansas JUCO from the state of Kansas. So you only had, but that didn't exist in Mississippi. They can take kids from wherever down there. So I mean, I mean, can you imagine like if you had fifty-five kids that? for the most part, really just don't want to help themselves, don't want to go to class, or more interested yeah, in the phone broken and stuff. I mean, not, they can't all be like that, though. You know, yeah, it, but not I'm, just but, because but, they're in a junior college means that they're just like disinterested. Well, person. but right, but I'm, I'm just saying... Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, if even if that, I, I mean, even if that is 60% of the case of the time, or 65% of the time, and, and you got kids that think that they're bigger than the program, obviously, because they're coming from Georgia's and other SEC programs and things like that. I mean you're i'm just talking about from our girl Brittany's perspective like that's a that's a, a high mental fatigue scenario where like who knows like how long you could actually really put up with that as your you know your day-to-day job right i mean that's got to be just so taxing on you you know mentally and emotionally i mean there's a reason she's gone uh you know where did she end up going she's at like a high school now or something she started her own business Ah. basically doing the same thing but now i guess it's more on her terms right yeah i think she might be working at a i think i saw an article recently where it said she was working at a 
at a high school in Detroit or something. But then at the same time, I saw she was at FAU's practice yesterday. Yeah, I'm reading the Sun Sentinel article about that right now. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, she's <laughs> honestly, they see her. They see her, you know, they kind of portray her like a saint, don't you guys think? I mean, Rob, I know you said at one point you were t- you were tired of her and everyone else on the show. Yeah, at some point I wanted to check out on all of them because it's like, you know, poor you. Like, she, I feel like she kind of martyred herself a little bit. And I know that I am like a terrible person for saying this. <laughs> yeah, um, you would be ready to kill the kids if you were in her oh, job. 100%. But, <laughs> but I mean, come on, just does it kill you. I mean, these kids are going to see this, right? Like eventually it's going to be like, man, was I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I by the end, I warmed back up to her. In season one, I loved her. Uh, I think maybe just too much of you know of not being like a three dimensional character. I guess I guess too much of just showing like the perfect side of her uh, got to me a little bit because she didn't seem human. You know, if that makes sense, uh, she doesn't seem like a rounded person. It just seemed like they were showing like one dimension of Brittany, and, and I wanted to kind of see her become more of a human with flaws. Yeah, I, I think. She- yeah, I mean, obviously she's got some. She has other. She has other struggles or whatever, and you know, she she mentioned her daughter and her daughter wanting to get out of there too. So uh, I don't know. I think personally, I think she she fits the mold. She, the mold of like a, you know, the the ideal character you want in a job like that. And I think she's going to be tough to replace. I think I was honestly surprised when, she, and I not knowing, and I guess you know we're more in the loop on this stuff than the average person watching the show. But I, I thought she would end up at a place like Alabama or something like that. I mean, didn't you guys wouldn't, couldn't you see her being in charge of a department at a, at a school that, you know, an elite sec school or something like that. That's kind of how I saw the story ending, but uh, I guess not. I mean, uh, I don't know. Like I said, we, I don't feel like we, I don't, we didn't know any of these people on this show, but I feel like we know her the least uh, out of everybody because she's the only person on the show that wasn't shown as a person with flaws. Everybody else has at least one flaw, right? Except they show this woman to be like almost like a Jesus figure. <laughs> and that really, I guess that's the essence of what bothered me about the way that she was portrayed. Uh, now, Rob, you you covered JUCOs and you've been covering JUCOs since before this was a thing. I mean, what has been your experience, I guess? Com- you know, do, have you run into this in this other situations where you know you're dealing with guys who – because like right now if we look at if we look at East Mississippi's roster, they don't have a lot of players with offers who are ranked. It's, it's like – it almost like everything has to happen so fast within almost like a three-month period, right, with people – kind of making their mind up and 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 everything like that on getting offered and then also committing and taking visits and, and everything. Yeah, it happens extremely quickly on the junior college level. And also, as you saw on the show, the nice thing about covering JUCOs is everybody's a little more honest. Um, you know, as you saw, they talk to coaches the way that they talk to me, so the JUCO coaches. If there is a kid that they do not think is going to make it because of whatever off the field or on the field reason – uh, whereas a high school coach is trying to market their program, for whatever reason, the junior college coaches do not mind telling you, uh, yeah, this kid's kind of a turd. Uh, you know, he's not ever going to make it. Which, you know, I respect the honesty. And I think that that kind of plays – that's the biggest difference in covering JUCOs in high schools, I think, is everybody's a little more honest. Everybody's a little more upfront. Everybody's a little more willing to open up uh, about their stories. Everybody has a better story. You know, if you're writing features on these kids, uh, it's a little bit easier because there's a reason. Every kid at a JUCO – uh, has some kind of story. And most times it's an interesting one as this is why this documentary works, I think. 
Uh, so I guess that's my biggest takeaways from covering uh, JUCOs, that and how quickly it happens, like you mentioned. I mean, they got to offer quick. They wait until the end of the season and then because they have to see what their needs are simply, right? Like a, a team doesn't know what holes they'll need to fill. Maybe a, a player does well and declares for the draft and they decide, oh, crap, you know, we need a, a defensive tackle that's ready to come in and play right away. And they go to the JUCO ranks in the last two or three weeks of the season and try to pull one out. Yeah, and the guys who and, – and it's mentioned in uh, – I think we're running an article that goes with this. We've seen the players end up at several places. I mean, Mississippi State uh, and, and your uh, school used to cover, Rob, Kansas State almost seems to build their program, right, out of a lot of junior college guys filling filling holes. It used to be um, a lot I – mean, they've kind of come off that a little bit. But in Bill Snyder's first run and in, under Ron Prince, uh, it was – and even Bill's first year back – it was heavy. Now they're down to taking three or four a year, but there are times where they were taking double-digit junior college players. Yeah, I mean, if we if we go and look, let's see, I'm trying to pull up the uh, the rankings here and try to s- sort everything out as we had some guys that, that weren't ranked. TJ Jallo went to Purdue, and I uh, actually remember him being pretty decent in high school. DeAndre Johnson went to FAU, as we talked about. Uh, Tim Bonner, who was, who was featured heavily on the show, defensive end, also ended up at FAU. Uh, he had started his career at Louisville, and uh, you know, at Mississippi State, Brian Cole, who was a guy who was a, a highly ranked kid out of high school from Michigan, he ends up there. Tyree Phillips, an offensive lineman, ends up there, and then of course Chauncey ends up there. So it was interesting to see Mississippi State go and take three of these guys, and then and then Dakota Allen, which was which one of the a guy heavily featured, the linebacker. Who, who I believe had like a, a robbery charge. Is that what it was that they talked about on yeah, the show? Yeah, they talked about an armed, armed robbery charge. Again, you know, I'm not real familiar with this situation, and they were pretty vague about it. But isn't it odd to see him end up back at the school that he essentially, you know, got kicked out of? See, that's what makes me wonder, and I'm going to Google it right now, if some kind of charges, like something happened there where maybe – I don't know. Like I think the out. charges got dropped is what happened. I mean, I can't imagine a kid having an armed robbery charge that stuck and then the school being like, yeah, come on back. I, I feel like there would be an outcry <laughs> here, you know? No, the, the the controversy was the charges got dropped or they weren't filed or something, but then they still – the reason he couldn't go back to Texas Tech so quickly is because he had like a school ban that kept him off campus for like a year or something like that that he had to serve. It, it, it was – extraneous from uh, the football program. They stole, so, all right, I got the news story here. They, it, this news story, according to uh, the AP, says that Dakota Allen, along with two other people, stole a safe filled with seven guns worth more than 15000 So not only was it a robbery, it wasn't really an armed robbery. They broke in and stole a safe, and I guess they became armed because they stole the safe full of guns. So they were indicted on charges of burglary, on uh, a second degree felony punishable by 20 years of prison, but I don't see anything. Yeah, about charges. I have here what happened. He entered into a, a agreement for pretrial diversion. So essentially that didn't, you know, based on my experience as a grand juror, which I indicted about 500 people in that, in that time. Uh, as long as his nose stays clean, uh, he's fine. But if he gets in any kind of trouble for the next, like, and I'm sure for a felony, it's much different for the next like five or 10 or for a felony, maybe 20 years. Uh, not only do they charge him with the crime that he's committed, this comes back up and they charge him with this again. Uh, so you're just basically diverting the charges saying you won't get in tr- ever tr- trouble ever again. And if you do, you get the double whammy. Yeah, it's – it's, and who knows? That's all – like I said, that's all based on past experiences uh, from us. But 
He's another guy, almost like with the DeAndre situation, where it's hard to imagine him stealing a safe full of guns. I just, it's it's hard to wrap my head around because I'm sitting there watching the show. You yeah, he know, was the you, one that became like, like got real like Christian during it, right? Well, right, and they all seem like. It's crazy because they all seem like, you know, they all are kids, essentially. And obviously, we all did dumb things in college and had friends who did dumb things in college. And I even had friends who did who did things in college that were dumb, that were football players that never got caught because it wasn't a situation now. Like, you could get arrested and almost get away with it, um, which is crazy How to think. How big must but, the safe have been? Stealing a safe containing seven handguns and rifles, two digital cameras, and a television. I mean, that must have been a safe the size of, like, a giant. That's not, that's not well, a small know, safe. How do you how carry fa- something like that out of a house? Yeah, I don't know how familiar you are. Well, with gun- well they gun- got caught, clearly, so they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how familiar you are with gun safes, Rob, but they're about the size of a refrigerator. So my guess would be a one like that would be like a slim or like a filing cabinet. Uh, so my guess would be they just probably loaded it on a uh, – they either had a dolly or they just grabbed it, two or three of them. You know, they are f- football players after all. Sure. Um, so anyway, wrapping it up, I mean, as I talk about the show, it's I'm conflicted watching it personally because you, you feel bad. I feel ba- bad, you know, about obviously there were crimes committed, especially some of these ones that we don't we don't know the details of. Number two. You almost feel you you get almost like an exploitation feel of some of these kids with the with the learning issues. Then you've got the injury thing factored in, so it's tough. It's it's almost like, and I think that's why the show is probably so popular. Is it gives you a real feel, and I mean, I know for a fact. I mean, based on my Twitter feed, the recruits love it. I mean, didn't you guys see a lot of kids tweeting about it and quoting the show and everything like that? Yeah, especially you know because in my neck of the woods, everybody was all you know. DeAndre was a star, you know, and they all were very familiar with him down here in Florida uh, because his brother is a highly rated recruit right now in this class, and you know he played on the same seven on seven team. In fact, he was wearing that Pro Impact shirt in the first episode that got a lot of reaction from Football Florida Twitter anyway. Yeah, I was surprised we didn't see any, you know, Rivals five-star challenge stuff there as we had at least one participant. And I actually talked to Chauncey via um, Snapchat. He was wearing Georgia stuff. And I was like, Chauncey, (laughs) you're at Mississippi State. And he's like, man, I ain't getting rid of these free clothes. And I was like, okay, you're right. Yeah, Um, I, I get that. I just found it interesting that I mean that kid loved Georgia and it's it's crazy to think he's playing somewhere else and it didn't work out and and everything like that especially you know considering how much how much he enjoyed it so it just it just just goes to show as uh, my mom would say and then not say anything else after that but um <laughs> Your mom takes more shots. She takes more friendly fire on this show. I hope she never listens. I don't think I don't, I don't think my mom knows what a podcast is. <laughs> so um, anyway, hi mom. If you do, if you do listen, but uh, it it's it's it, it's tough. They're still kids. They, I guess you know. And then we go round and round with this, and we don't talk. Rob and I try to avoid all talks about this. We didn't talk about Joe Mixon. We don't necessarily have strong opinions on you know, God's given right to play football and everything like that. But if a coaching staff determines they, they think he has a second chance, I think the guy should. DeAndre does. And FAU's roster is loaded with 
with guys who've transferred in from from other major programs. So it's clear Kiffin is willing to take some character chances on on some of these guys. You want to and talk his, about last chance you though. I mean, FAU is last chance you for Lane Kiffin, right? If he fails there, is he, I, I can't see him getting another head coaching job. He's got to win. Yeah, yeah. I don't and, – and, but – who knows? At least he's he, he's he's giving it his best shot, though. I mean, we're seeing him. I don't know how he's recruiting high school guys, but he's loading up with a lot of these. They love him here. He's doing great. Yeah, I saw Uncle Luke was was lauding him. So, Nick, you got any other uh, final final thoughts? We didn't. I guess we didn't touch that much on Cam Carter, who, like I said, just he got a bad edit on the show. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't know why he got kicked out of Penn State. I think it was. Uh, some type of marijuana related charge as well. I'll look at that real fast, but he definitely didn't come off good. And I I wonder how he's holding up at, at, at Pitt so far, maybe being closer to home. It was, it was just, it was tough for him. You could tell he was having a hard time adjusting down there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, uh, you know, obviously in the show, they went back to the, the fact that he had like ADHD or something like that. And that's what, and rather than taking a bunch of medication, he'd rather just uh, smoke some weed and, and uh, call it good. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I would say, I would say that he kind of got a little bit of an unfair shake too, based on, you know, the character that they framed him as. But I mean, he was the one that was sleeping like every episode. <laughs> so, How could somebody, and this so, is going to make me sound like so such an know. old person. How could somebody that young be that tired? <laughs> <laughs> you remember how too boring it was to be in class and stuff like that i mean i totally understand him being tired i mean especially if people are in there playing xbox all hours of the night yeah that's on that yeah. i don't know if they're gonna do a season three i don't know if a season three is in the cards no, they're I mean, doing it not in mississippi oh, they're doing it at a at uh at fort scott i believe junior college in kansas they're doing it at a different school so season three is happening oh. uh shooting I, at let me look i think fort scott which is a traditionally pretty bad junior college program. Well, but I was going to say, I mean, I, I don't think that I don't think that school's ripe for a. Excuse you know, me, it's not a, Fort Scott. Fort Scott is a traditionally good ind- junior college program. It's an Independence Community College, which is like uh, a suburb well, of Kansas City. Uh, it's a very weird place, and they have not traditionally been good. So it's going to be like the opposite of. I think they won a few games last year. It'll be the opposite of what you get with East Mississippi. It'll be like a down on their luck junior college program. Don't they have good players? I seem like they. I feel like they have good players, though, right? There's a junior college pecking order. They'll they'll get one or two guys to a major place on a yearly basis, uh, but it's not like you know your East Mississippi or even your Gulf Coast or even your Butler County or your Hutchison or your Blinn. It's definitely in that third. I mean, it's not like Kahoma or something like that where we saw East Mississippi play a team of basically walk-ons. It's, but it's definitely like a lower rung program. They're not the kind of program that plays for national championships or even plays for state championships. It's they don't have the facilities that East Mississippi has. It's definitely going to have a different feel. Yeah, that's one thing that stands out to me is the facilities at East Mississippi are amazing, aren't they? I mean, where do we think all that money has come from? Is that is that sponsors locally? Is it donations from guys who went there? I mean, it's crazy to look at some of their locker rooms and and, and everything like that. Yeah, I mean, how was the, how about the, like the uh, juxtaposition of their stuff and the Kahoma stuff in that in in that episode where they were playing the team of walk-ons that I referenced earlier, where like the paint's chipping off the walls in their locker room, and then they keep cutting to like the pristine weights at East Mississippi. I, I like that. I love I I love the uh, Kahoma episode. I wish I personally I kind of I I thought that that coach the episode that they did that featured that coach 
she, he was set. He was set up for the the following season. I loved his personality. I told Woody. I said when he called when he called East Mississippi second chance you instead of last chance you. I was in on him because <laughs> he started firing shots and stuff. And that's you know and and it and it seems like a more it seems like a more authentic look at what most junior college experience looks like at their school as opposed to uh, in East Mississippi. Although. You know, you East Mississippi, though, I mean, it's like we said, with the with the relative level of star power that they had with their, you know, former D1 players, that makes it that broadens the audience a little bit more. You guys but. should see the facilities, the two best junior colleges I've ever seen campus wise, facility wise, Butler County and uh, Arizona Western in, in Yuma has really nice facilities, too. Um, yeah, the teams that aren't those the two teams that's that uh, kept our kept our boys out of the championship. game. Not Butler, uh, Arizona Western was one of them. And I believe Fort Scott. Or Hayes was the other one, but Butler's traditionally very good. They're in El Dorado, Kansas. So, so I pulled up uh, the uh, Independence team from the 2017 class. They had a guy go to Texas Tech, a guy go to Texas A&M, two guys go to Colorado State, and and one go to Tulane. So, about six D1 guys. Not 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 a great uh, not a great track record, and I'm not sure. If we look at their 2018 class, they do have a guy committed to Oklahoma, one to South Carolina, one to Washington State, one to Colorado, and then uh, one to Arkansas. Emmett Gooden, who I remember very well from high school, as being a very good player. So it seems like they loaded up on star power for – oh, and Malik Henry also. Wow. So so they loaded up, Rob. Central casting rolled in here to yeah, Independence. 100%. <laughs> That's and, exactly uh, what happened. Word got out. Yeah, Malik Henry, a one-time five-star. Uh, you know, so they're looking at multiple four-star plus players here on this team. So they'll do okay for themselves. I'm sure they'll find some personalities in there. Malik probably won't be one of them. That's 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 the, a big camera guy, as he's a kind of mild-mannered kid. But I just, I don't know. I like watching the show for entertainment value. I would advise any football fan to watch. I guess if you're still listening to this 40 minutes in, you, you probably yeah, you uh, did watched. watch it. So we didn't have a whole lot of hilarious observations, but, um, you know, I think it's a discussion worth having, especially during a slow period like this. So you guys got anything else to add? The sunglasses, man. I'm telling you, buddy, they stick with me. So that's that's Rob's biggest takeaway is football coaches wear funny sunglasses. It's not funny sunglasses. It's like the sunglasses that the dad who's screaming at his, like – eight-year-old little league player from the stands wears uh and he's got the big chew in too he's just got a funny face well when he put the chew in talk about it oh my gosh talk about an unflattering wow. scene he put so much chew in his mouth and then he's then he goes back for more i could not believe how much chew he put in his mouth uh, he needed he needed a, i mean i he bought he needed like a, a one, uh, like a one-hander shovel you know for the i mean that was like a feed bag in front of him God, he's so unlikable. Uh, well, it, here's the thing. <laughs> oh, jeez. You guys got me laughing. Um, I, people would be surprised at how many football coaches chew tobacco. I mean, it is, it's baseball level, wouldn't you say, Rob? I mean, oh, almost every, all of them. every football coach at every level. And I always wonder that about like you go to these high schools and it says like this is a tobacco-free zone. I'm like, has anyone told your entire football coaching staff? No, they no, that, especially if you go to cover a game like Alabama or something. That's where Kansas, that's where it's really happening. Yeah, I'm just surprised at how much tobacco is being chewed. And I think it gives ooh, you like – I, I was I was gonna say speaking of Alabama, how about how about Crampton Bowl getting a big uh, yeah 
Oh, maybe the All-Star game. Big showcase. <laughs> to be fair, I've seen, a, I've seen, and not a coach so much as like a some kind of like spectator smoking a black and mild on the sideline of a high school game before. So it doesn't just end at tobacco. I didn't realize they had bowl games for, for junior college. Yeah, I've covered many of them. I, I famously once sat next to Les Miles after a junior college bowl game when he was with uh, Zach Mittenberger after Butler County had played in the uh, – in the JUCO national championship in a bowl game in Pittsburgh, Kansas. And I went to go eat, uh, me and the videographer we had, we were actually covering, I believe that might've been the year that Cam Newton was in the game. Uh, these run together. It might not have been anyway, we're eating at a restaurant and Les miles comes in with Zach and his family. And it was the only time still to this day that I've been able to like sit in on a recruiting pitch. Cause it was like a cramped little Italian restaurant in Pittsburgh, Kansas. So his, their table was basically touching ours. Uh, and I didn't know Les and I didn't know Zach. So I could have been Adam. So we're just sitting there pretty much eavesdropping on this recruiting pitch that Les is giving. And let me tell you, man, that guy, it was ninja like, like he went and I tell the story a lot, went seamlessly from talking about the LSU offense to Zach to talking to the mom about a trip to China that she had been back from. And then the real kicker is he's talking to the little sister five minutes later about the Twilight books with some general knowledge of the characters in Twilight. I, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was watching like, it was like watching uh, Michelangelo paint. Well, you could see a lot out there on the, the Juco trail, Rob, hopefully you get to some games this year and uh, you know, maybe we'll, <laughs> Maybe we'll get to get your boy Buddy on the show. You guys can have a one-on-one uh, interview. <laughs> Give me, maybe you can get some matching sunglasses. <laughs> oh, funny sunglasses are funny. You know, you guys both wait. You guys both have eclectic sunglass choices, though. No, mine aren't so bad. Not like that. I mean, mine are pretty standard Wayfair uh, Ray-Ban selection. Not those ones are. What about those silver ones with the white? And they're the not white, they're chrome. Those are a little bit over the top, but they're still Wayfair style, you know? They're not like Oakley's. Like, I'm, are those are those Wayfair's? I thought they're like the Malcolm X. No, uh, they're Wayfair. They're Wayfair Jason, at least. Uh, for some reason. And then Nick, of course, has been known to wear bigger, bigger eclectic uh, sunglasses himself, right, Nick? Uh, yeah, but I, I totally just grab whatever's available, so I'll wear any kind of weird sunglasses. I'm not sure. I think people, if you know what a Wayfair is, those are not, Rob. You're you're misidentifying what those are called. Um, yeah, that's probably possible. I can, the, we the, can put a picture on the podcast Twitter account or something. Yeah, the eclectic ones you wear are definitely not Wayfarers because they're. I, I can't think of the name of what they're called, but I'm. I, I just did some googling while we're talking, so we'll leave the sunglass talk to Officer Friedman as he is. <laughs> <laughs> it's the authority on sunglasses. Oh, they're called Clubmaster, Rob. Those are Clubmaster. Oh, what a, you want to talk about your all-time terrible names. I'm going to throw those in the trash yeah. as soon as we... <laughs> as soon as we, <laughs> yeah, so. we might have to send them to our boy Zach Soskin at Adidas. Oh, big shout to Zach. Who, who, who is text. the Clubmaster? Yeah, I saw he him like, the... on stage at Lollapalooza on his Snapchat this week. Well, we're going to have to talk about that. He, he's been clamoring to come on the show. We're going to have to have him on, and we're going to have to confront him about... Is it okay? Because you want to talk about concert Snapchats. He is, number one, the king of concert Snapchats. Number two, most of them are from the stage. So, Ben, is it okay to produce concert Snapchats if you're from the stage and not of the band? What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to flex, right? Once is like, look at me standing on the stage at Lollapalooza. That's a perfectly understandable flex of a snap, I think. You need to show that off. Uh, I think that the line is at three a day <laughs> on that, and then maybe two, and then, and then you cool it. <laughs> well, we'll talk. We'll definitely talk with him about it. That's going to be a that's going to be a, a fun debate. Uh, you guys can both wear your club masters. <laughs> <All right. laughs> 
boy. Now that I know they're called that, it's very funny. Oh, uh, man, I really feel like somebody punched me in the chest. Yeah, you're set yourself up for that one, Mr. Clubmaster General. Um, all right, well, that wraps up our Last Chance You Talk. If you guys liked what you heard in terms of this episode, uh, if you want to hear us do more uh, non-football recruiting but football talk, we've talked about doing some other podcasts. Um, oh, they are called Clubmaster. I'm looking at them now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> similar to... Similar to maybe this, maybe, um, what is the other show? Oh, Hard Knocks. You know, there's, there's all types of uh, options for us to do some, some pop culture football stuff. So if you like it, let us know. Leave us a review on iTunes. Send us an email or hit us up. Please subscribe on iTunes. And uh, I guess that wraps it up. Well, YouTube will be back next week with a normal episode. I am going to be, uh, it's a must-be-nice situation as I'm going on vacation. Yeah, back to Europe, right? I will be, leave us here stateside. I will be uh, here in Miami. I don't think high school games start until the week after, so I will have next to nothing to talk about. Krug and I will make it work, though. Maybe we'll have a WWE podcast. All right. M-Deuce, play us out.